we're continuing on in this series called Free at Last. And over the last several weeks, we've been going through the book of Galatians. A few weeks ago, Scott kicked this off, taking a look at what this letter is all about that Paul wrote somewhere in the 40 to 50 AD range. And let's summarize. Let's make sure that we're all on the same page. So God uses Paul to start the Galatian church. He goes down there and he's telling these people about the sacrifice of Jesus and what the cross means and the power of that and how they're no longer beholden to the law. And then Paul starts this process going, gets the movement up and running, and then just a few short months later, maybe even a couple of years, the Galatians start retreating back to the law again. And Paul's not a happy camper, so he's writing this letter to get them back on track. Over the last three weeks, Mike, Scott, and Nate have all taken us through the first three chapters of Galatians. If you've missed those, go back and watch Watch those. They're on the website. You'd be amazed at how relevant the Galatians letter is towards where our culture is today. You see, Galatians is really a letter that compares and contrasts two ideas of how to follow God. One of them is compliance, right? The law. You must comply. You have to do things this way. The other one is this idea of grace, of that Jesus is enough and the sacrifice that he made is enough for us to have that closeness and that connection with God. So we're going to spend our time today in Galatians chapter 4. So if you brought your Bible, go ahead and join me there today. We're in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. And here Paul is again describing who Jesus is, what he did for mankind, and he gets real specific and real direct. So here we go, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent this spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Okay, that's just three sentences. Here's what I love about the Bible is there's not a whole lot of fluff in there. There's a lot that just happened in the scripture. We're going to unpack this today. You got to think about it. Back in the day, you had to memorize this stuff. You had to write these things down by hand and copy them. And so this amazing support of context out there is very different today. We're used to fluff to support everything. But this has a lot of important points in there. So we're going to break these three sentences down line by line, phrase by phrase, and see what Paul's talking about. Starting off in verse 4, it says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. God sent his son. We don't want to overlook this idea today. That's a big deal. God sent Jesus, born in a miraculous way, lived the perfect life, performed miracles and wonders, and taught lessons that challenged the religious authorities of the day. And then Jesus died for us voluntarily, and he died for a reason. He died to save all mankind. It says this in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Paul is reminding the Galatians here in this letter that there's this powerful experience that just happened. Jesus has just died on the cross recently. 
compared to our context, of course, just died recently. And Paul teaches the Galatians about this, and he leaves, and they start going back to the law again. Now, it continues on here. Born of a woman, born under the law. You see that Jesus is born under the law himself, this law of Moses. Now, Paul's pointing this out to emphasize that Jesus knows what's going on with the law here. Jesus isn't just showing up and saying, oh, that's how you guys do it. That's a dumb idea. Here's a different way. No, Jesus knows the law. He lived the law. He was born into the law, and he was an expert of the law. I don't know about you, but I'm not an expert of the law. What the heck is the law? This isn't just the Ten Commandments that we see in Exodus 20. There are 613 Jewish laws that you had to live by, and there's laws for all sorts of stuff. There's laws for what you can wear, who you can marry, how you're supposed to work. There's even a law that suggests you can't mix dairy with meat together. No more cheeseburgers, (laughs) right? That's slavery, everybody, okay? Verse 5, to redeem those under the law. Jesus was there to redeem. What does redemption mean? It means to compensate for the faults of the bad aspects of something or a thing. Jesus redeems those under the law. He compensates for them, for us, so we're able to be adopted into God's family. Redemption's a huge idea here. Redemptions, we hear it in songs. Jesus the Redeemer. There are churches named Redeemer and Redemption Church. Even in some instances, you'll see the Holy Bible with the tagline, God's Redemption Story. Jesus is the Redeemer for us. And Paul just blazes right through this idea in this passage here. But let's look at it a bit further. Hebrews 9.15 says, That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance that God has promised to them. Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sin they had committed under the first covenant. Jesus set them free from the penalty of violating the laws. Does this make sense so far? Are you guys tracking? Ephesians 1.7 gives us a different perspective. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance to the richness of God's grace. You see, Jesus' death on the cross was our payment for us violating the sin. We can't keep up with that here. And Paul, he's writing this to the Galatians, and he's really trying to spell this out for them step by step. Making sure that we have an idea of what redemption is, is important. And Paul's concerned that the Galatians, that they're going to cling to this idea that they can do the law, that they can redeem themselves, that they're good enough to be able to follow all 613 mandates and not screw something up. They're not. They're going to make mistakes. And Jesus has come to make up that difference for us, to allow us to be adopted into sonship. The next part says that we might receive adoption to sonship adoption also another important point of this passage today let's unpack that one a bit more adoption is leaving one situation over here you're in a dysfunctional family you're in a broken family you're alone you don't have a family and you're being adopted into another situation to where you are loved and you're cared for and you're nurtured now 
we have a disconnect here with how this status works, right? Because when you're adopted, your status is technically changing from this brokenness to a situation of wholeness and completeness. And you can't do both at the same time. You can't be abandoned and alone and orphaned and afraid and be saved and loved and nurtured and taken care of at the same time. Now, it's really easy to say that, but it's really hard to do that emotionally. We see that with adopted children. There's a mix of emotions. There's oftentimes great joy of being now in a loving, caring home that you're provided for. This could even be a whole new experience for you. Now, along with all of this love and compassion and caring, oftentimes adopted kids can resist receiving that because there's a sense of insecurity or a sense of unworthiness. If I'm not worthy to receive this kind of love here. Now, overcoming this insecurity of being adopted is where the spirit comes into play. Now, the spirit plays a part in how we, being part of this family now, can sense the love and feel as though that we are worthy of receiving that love. Let's keep looking at this idea. Verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit of his son. So we have God. God sent Jesus, and then now we have the spirit that's here. Paul, in this letter to the Galatians, is still focusing on comparing these two basic ideas of the 613 laws that nobody can follow all the way over to this more powerful and significantly less complicated idea of following and loving Jesus. Now, Jesus talks about the spirit several times in Scripture here. In the book of John, during the upper room discourse, there's this, this is the night that Jesus is going to be arrested. This is just hours before that. Jesus is teaching still. He's washed the feet of the disciples, and he's informing them about how he must go, how he must go. And the disciples are freaking out. There's discussion of betrayal, and Jesus also informs them that he's going to ask the Father to send the helper. In John 14, 26, it says, but the advocate... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I said to you. The disciples are upset here because they're part of something. They have their leader, the one who they love and the one that's been with them so they're not alone. But Jesus is telling them that you're not going to be alone. Even though that I go, I'm going to send the helper. He'll not abandon us or them. He'll be with them through the Spirit. Now, the Spirit also has power. Let's not forget that idea. The Spirit of God is with his children, and his children are those who are followers of Jesus. They have power from the Spirit. We just talked about adoption previously. It's the spirit that helps create that sense of belonging into this new family. The spirit helps us get from this sense of orphanage and alone and afraid to we are now worthy of receiving God's love over on this side. In Acts 1.8, it says, if I can flip my page fast enough, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's children receive the power of the Spirit to serve the church. Now remember, we're still looking at adoption here. When you're adopted into God's family, you get the Spirit and God is with you. The Spirit along with God, these, there's, these, there's these gifts that come along, and these are discussed in 
1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4.11. These three sentences, I'm telling you, they have a lot of important stuff in there. So the Spirit stirs our hearts. The Spirit guides and reminds us in this letter that Paul is writing to the Galatians is, is trying to illuminate these things. So Paul continues saying this in our passage for the day. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're adopted into sonship. You're in the family now, and it's a little hard. You're resisting it. You're resisting it, but the Spirit's with you. You have a new creation. You are a new life in Christ. You have the Spirit of God with you, stirring in your heart, and a heart that cries out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba means father in Aramaic, but it's not the formal father, like, hello, father. It's dad, pa, daddy. It's that same parent-child relationship that I remember seeing with Mercedes, my daughter, when she was four or five years old. I'd get home from work. She, I, she would run at me and say, Daddy, and jump into my arms. It's that same connection that Mercedes would cry out in the middle of the night and say, Daddy, because there's a monster under the bed or something. It's that intimate closeness that a parent has with the child, that a father has with their son. Now, the Spirit gives us that closeness to God. The Spirit helps us be adopted children. Abba, Father. This shows up in other places in Scripture as well. In Mark 14, 36, it says this. This is Jesus. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is crying out to his father to keep him from arrest and murder, but yet he's saying, your will be done, father. That's an important thing for us to think about, about informing our hearts and how we respond to God. Paul also informs this idea in the book of Romans, too. He points out to the Romans that the spirit brings us closer to God. He wrote in the book, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you are slaves and in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and in him we cry, Abba, Father. We need to get this Abba, Father idea correct out there. I want to spend some more time on this. Too many of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ out there see God as this tyrannical father out there, or they're so broken that they don't think that they are worth of God's love. This often forces us into destructive habits either way. Now, if your heart is afraid to go to God because of shame or guilt or fear, come pray with us after service today. Right up here, we have after every single service, our prayer team on this side of the stage. If you're carrying that weight and that shame and that guilt with you, come pray with us after service today. You're not a slave to God, and God wants to welcome you home. If you're looking for a good reminder of a great idea of how God receives us as children, go read the prodigal son story again or even for the first time in Luke 15. Jesus is quoted in Luke 15 telling a parable about the return of a young son who left his household abruptly asking for his inheritance early. I don't have time to read that story today. It's way longer than three sentences. Um, but to quickly summarize, the son leaves. 
He squanders his inheritance money, and it's so bad that he ends up sleeping with the pigs, and he's starving, and his father, a wealthy man, the son's thinking, oh my gosh, I wonder if I can just go back home, not be a son anymore, but go back home, and maybe my dad will hire me and let me work in the field. That's the only hope that he's got. But God surprises him. Right, The father surprises him. The son comes home. And the father, from afar, sees his son. And he runs to his son. He embraces his son and says, My son has returned. He puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, slaughters the fattened calf, and holds a feast. This is a great reminder of what it looks like for Abba Father to receive us. The father, he loves us. He wants to run to us, but we have to come home. Don't overlook that idea today. If you're afraid or ashamed to come home to Abba Father, come pray with us after church today. Paul continues in this letter to the Galatians in 7. So you are no longer a slave. A slave to what? A slave to the law. We talked about, we talked about those laws earlier. Now, as a son, you're no longer a slave to those 613 laws. That does not mean that you have a free pass to live a life of sin. Don't think that Jesus came to fulfill the law so we could live a life of debauchery. No, our hearts are transformed. Our hearts are different because the Spirit is with us. And when we do screw up again, when we do make a mistake, which we will, here's our sin, we can repent. Repent means to turn away from. We repent, we turn away from our sin, and we go back towards God, Abba Father, whose arms are open to receive us. Paul completes our passage today with a simple line here. But God's child, and since you are his child, God made you also an heir. An heir to what? An heir to the kingdom of God. An heir to eternal life. An heir being a child, deserving and planned on receiving from the Father. We are God's children. We are heirs. We're adopted. So remember, we have some issues time to time. Sometimes we're resisting this love. We're resisting this grace because we feel like we're unworthy or we're afraid or we're ashamed. But God is running to us. Amen? Amen. So full circle now. Remember where we started today. Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians to bring them this idea that he's already showed them once of this amazing grace from Jesus. He's trying to get them back online because the Galatians are retreating to the law again. And he's driving home this point of what the sacrifice that Jesus made for us is. We're not beholden to the law. We're not slaves to the law. Now, for some reason, as humans, we live under pressure. We like to live under the law. The walls of legalism are tall and firm and easy to rest on. Right, wrong, judgment, punishment, simple, it's clean, and it's impossible. And yet, we end up there all the time. Sometimes we miss our slavery. Sometimes we miss our sin. There's a verse in scripture. I absolutely love it. This might as well be my life verse. Proverbs 26, 11. I want to get it tattooed on my forearm with a little dandelion next to it. It says this, 
Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Marinate in that for a second, yeah? <laughs> take it in, take it in. As humans, we go back to our suffering and enslavement and sin all the time. Our sin over here, our slavery over here, we circle it, we kind of sniff it. It's not too bad. Little drool from the jowl starts showing up, kind of tilt our head. All right. And we sop it right back up right? Like a dog returning. <laughs> this is not an old idea. This is not a new idea. This is an old idea, even older than where it is here. We see in the Bible in Exodus, God used Moses to free his enslaved people from Egypt. This group of people that Moses is leading who were freed from slavery, they observed horrible, horrible things that were inflicted. There were these plagues on Egypt for, to facilitate their freedom, and they had to put blood over their doors to keep their families safe from the angel of death during Passover. And then Moses is taking them out of Egypt, and they are beaten, and they are hurt, and they are enslaved, but they're getting freed here, and they've witnessed several miracles along the way. They have witnessed the miracle of God feeding them with this food from the heavens called manna, and they start complaining about it. In Numbers 11, 5 through 6, it says, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt, man. I probably shouldn't read it in that voice. Here's what it says. <laughs> We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onion, the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite because we see nothing but this manna. They want to go back to their slavery because of this free food that God is giving them. How in the world does that make any sense? They see their slavery back here with this previously okay food, with their beatings and with their sufferings, and they're circling their slavery. They're kind of tilting their head at it. Little drool from the jowls, not too bad. Slopping it right back up. Here it comes. They're returning to it again. But they should be running to the open arms of God right over here. Abba Father wanting to receive them back home. So that's what those three sentences have to say in Galatians today. <laughs> I don't have a three-step process for you or two easy ways to be a son or any sort of a formula to live by here. We learned that we seem to be prone to fall back into legalism and our sin and our slavery, and sometimes we want to go back, like a siren luring us back into our brokenness and to our, to our bad feelings and our bad ideas. But let me ask you this question. What does your heart have to say? Does your heart leap for joy at the idea of being close to the Father? Do you cry out to God, Abba, Father? Do you go to your Father for advice in prayer and in his word? Or are you here in shame right now? Are you carrying around this guilt for things that you've done? Are you hesitant to come to church because you think that cross is going to catch on fire when you walk in the room or the roof's going to collapse on you? Or do you think, yes, I know that God loves everybody, but there's no way that God could love me. Not after the things that I've done, 
not after the words that I said, not after those twisted, dark thoughts that I thought. There's no way that God could love me. Do you scurry in and scurry out of church because you're uncomfortable to be here? If that's you, I want to beg you, please come up here after church today and pray with our prayer team. It'll take courageousness. It'll take boldness and bravery to acknowledge that weight that you're carrying. But come and let us pray with you. We'll have our prayer team up here. Keep this in mind. If you're a Christian, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, if you love the Lord and you're carrying this shame with you, those chains are already unlocked. All you have to do is let them go. And then there are some in here with us today that don't know the Lord. Some of you that are here today that are thinking, I don't know much about Christianity or what this is all about, but I think that I am incomplete. I think that I am missing something. I think that I am not part of this family that I hear about here. I have some friends that are Christians and they always seem to be just okay with everything. What do they have that I don't? They have followed Jesus. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're going to be comfortable or convenient, but it does mean that you'll be part of a family. You will be adopted into a family with the power of the Spirit to where you are loved. You are no longer an orphan. You are no longer alone. You are part of a family. And you have a father who loves you dearly that's crying out to you. He's running to you. We can cry out to him, Abba, Father. So we're going to spend a few minutes in prayer here and wrap this up for the day. I want to start off by praying for my brothers and sisters out there that are carrying around this shame unnecessarily today. Dear Lord, we love you and we thank you. Abba, Father, we come to you today just begging for your presence in our life. Lord, we need you and we love you, Lord. Lord, I lift up my brothers and sisters out there right now that are carrying the shame and the guilt. They're not feeling worthy of your love. Not after what they've done, not after what we've seen or thought, Lord. But God, we know that you do welcome us home, that you are running to us, that we're not just going to be an employee in your field, God, that you are wanting to receive us. And Lord, we are choosing to come home. Lord, take us back. We love you, Lord. We're so sorry for what we've done, God. We want to repent and turn away and come home to you, God. We love you. Lord, I also want to pray for our guests with us today that may be far from you, that may not know you, Lord, but they're interested. They're feeling that stir in their heart to take that step towards you, Lord. They want to be in this spiritual family, Lord. I want those to be encouraged to decide to follow you today. And if that's you today, if you're in the room right now and you're thinking, all right, Lord, I'm sensing you calling me towards this. I, I, want, I want to follow you. I want to be your son, God. I want to cry out to you, Abba, Father. Join me in this prayer. Dear Lord, I, I love you. Jesus, you're the Savior. You're the one that God sent for me. I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross. I believe that he redeemed me, Lord. And, and 
Jesus, I'm not quite sure I know all the details or how this works, but God, I want to follow you. I want to follow you, Jesus. Lord, I know that I've come up short in so many of my things over here, but I want to turn away from that, and I want to follow you, Jesus. I believe that you are the Lord and the Savior, and I want to be in your family, Lord. If that was you today that just prayed that prayer, come find us after service. We want to pray with you some more, welcome you into the family of God. And for my brothers and sisters out there that are carrying that shame and that guilt, come pray with us as well after service today. We want to pray with you and help you let go of those chains. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We are amazed by your transformative power to change lives. And thank you for being present with us today, Jesus. In your name, we pray. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. That was great. Strong word. Love it. Hey, I wanted to kind of set up uh, this vision for something gonna, that is happening right now in Spokane that we're going to receive an offering towards next week. Uh, one of the things that's been going on over the last year in our city is God bringing together churches to work together. Doesn't that sound, seems like a no-brainer, right? But it's not a no-brainer because it doesn't happen very often. And one of the things that we have as a church been a part of in a very significant way is something called the PNW movement. It's, it's churches collaborating together. And uh, we, we have, you know, we have planted some churches. Other churches plant churches like Real Life or Life Center or other churches. And so we're adding churches, but we're doing it all independently, Right? Well, what if we, as the church in Spokane, began to work together in a way in which we collaborated funds together? We would collaborate praying together, collaborate by uh, sending people out in teams together to plant churches together. That's what the PNW movement is. Uh, we actually have around 35 churches in our, in our area now that are a part of this in, some, in one way or another. We have about 15 churches that are like all in. And the all in part is where we, uh, we are saying we're going to receive offerings. We're going to put that, pool that together. And then we're going to plant churches. We're going to raise up leaders and plant gospel communities together in our community. And uh, I love that. I love that vision. So we have other churches that are also receiving offerings that we're going to pool it together. We're going to collaborate together and we're going to plant together. Matter of fact, one of the things we did just uh, a few months ago is we helped, we contributed funds and have been helping and praying for, re uh, for Real Life North is planting a church in Cheney. They did their first service on Easter. They're going to launch publicly in September. And we, North Church, are part of that. We're part of collaborating and helping plant that particular church. And we have other churches we're going to help plant in the very near future. What, and so as we receive this offering next week, uh, one of the things we'll use it for is one in collaborating with others to plant churches, but also to raise up a church planter in our own church, a resident, who will come in and work with us for about 18 months, and uh, then we'll send them out and we'll plant a church and others will collaborate with us. But what a cool vision. 
to no longer be a part of just adding a church here and a church there and, and everybody kind of independently working, to get, uh, working alone uh, individually, but where we would collaborate together. I think this pleases God when his church works together, when his church becomes one, and when we actually do kingdom work in a way that glorifies God, but we're doing it together. So be praying, would you, for the PNW movement. We're going to take some amazing ground in this next week. We have a whole week-long conference happening in conjunction with Whitworth, and, uh, and we're just seeing more and more churches catch this vision and want to be a part of it. So it's pretty, pretty cool stuff. All right, well, uh, if, again, if you need prayer, our prayer team will be right over here. If you uh, are new or newer to the church, I'd love to connect with you for just a few moments right over here underneath this monitor. Okay, have a great Sunday.